You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, Purple Daily on draft. Every Monday on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. And unfortunately, the season starts with a little bit of a dud. The Vikings lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week one. Sets up a pretty tough Game two on Thursday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles. But Purple Daily on Draft here to break things down from a draft class perspective. Of course, looking at the college football season, looking ahead to the NFL draft. And um, let's just say the idea of tanking for Caleb Williams came up multiple times on Vikings Vent Line uh, yesterday, boys. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting kind of way to see where this one goes. But uh, plenty of still uh, stuff to get to, obviously, on this episode I guess we should probably start here. Let's let's take a little bit of a silver lining, I think, approach. Because so far on Ventline, we had a bunch of Vikings fans come on that were upset. Mackie, Judd, and myself did uh, a little bit of hot takes uh, earlier this morning. Alex Boone, that episode just posted. He gave some great film reviews and some other stuff. So let's let's start here. Let's start with the positive. Biggest rookie winners in week one for the Vikings. Now, the PFF grades I saw trickled out about an hour ago. We're recording this at 1 o'clock p.m. Central Time on Monday on September 11th. Um, so let, let's start here. Miles, give me at least one guy for you that came up to be a, a big winner from the rookie class for the Vikings, despite the loss to the Buccaneers in Week 1. Well, I mean, there's obviously two, so I, if Forno wants to take the second one, I'll take the first one. Um, Jordan Addison, just because like when we had our like impact uh, conversation, um, him coming in and, and having a touchdown and immediate impact, early in the season, first week of the season, first game. I uh, thought that was huge. Um, and I think, as you'll see as the season goes on, he's just going to continue to get those opportunities. And teams are going to keep – his touchdown was literally because the team was keying on Justin Jefferson. And his ability to have the speed to win downfield is is important that they were missing from somebody last year where you know Adam Thielen just didn't have that type of juice anymore. And um, so to have a, Addison to be able to be that guy to help stretch the field a little bit more is, is really important. So I thought his impact was big. I'd say another name, but again, I'll, I'll let Forno go there just because I know, I know he loved him coming out too. But um, yeah, I think Addison just has it. There's there's some room to grow. Obviously, he he struggled a little bit with uh, um, some press coverage. I noticed against some of the like uh, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Jamel Dean seemed to have a little bit of his number on a couple snaps. But that's going to happen. I think as he continues to grow and they move him around the formation more, he's gonna he's only going to get better. But I thought as a first showing, um, he looks good. He looks explosive and. Um, Obviously, good through the through the catch point. Nice and Forno. How about you, man? I mean, yeah, there's there's a few options here too. Obviously, Jordan mm-hmm. Addison catches the first touchdown of his NFL career, but who else from the rookie class uh, this year impressed you? I will say one thing I was uh, uh, I noticed with Addison was on that third and thirteen where he he converted the first down on the touch last touchdown drive. He ran an out route two yards short of the sticks, and I'm wondering why that plateau. Is that just the standard out route for that route concept? Why were they not adjusting it to go 13 yards? Did Addison just run it too short? Because I will say, Cousins threw it perfectly like he was supposed to run that depth. So I'm really intrigued to see 
like to f- try and find out why that was the case on third and 13. You're expecting him on an out route to the short side. You're oh, asking him to run short of the sticks. I, I want to know yeah. what all that was about. That was really weird to me, but I thought Addison was good. But the biggest winner is Ivan Pace Jr. 46 snaps. Brian Osimo and Troy Dye each had two. That tells you a lot. It tells you that they really believe in what Ivan Pace is doing. And I wonder how injured Brian Asamoah is and how that could have limited his effectiveness. Now, he could still be healthy enough to play, but that doesn't mean you're 100% effective. He was excellent. He was firing uh, in the running game. His pass rush grade was 90. He was in the backfield on the few opportunities, five opportunities that he got to rush the passer. And the fact that he had the second most linebacker snaps. Now, I feel like this is skewed. Uh, Jordan Hicks had 66 snaps, and then you had the two each from Osimo and Die, and then Pace had 46. Josh Metellus had 57 total snaps, and there were multiple times I saw him line up as a linebacker slash rover, which is kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid kind of role. A lot of people also term it as like an overhang. So that was really interesting to see how Brian Flores was kind of um, utilizing packages and trying to get players on the field to maximize the things he wanted to do. But I thought pace, even getting above like 30% of a snap share was a huge win. And his snap share being like in the 70%. Fantastic. How about Makai Blackman? So he had a big pass breakup um, as well in that game. He had to start to be a starting cornerback, basically a lot of hype for him coming out of week one. Um, I guess, Miles, did you were you impressed with his showing as well? What did you like or maybe not like from Makai Blackman yesterday? Yeah, I was actually surprised that some of those, uh, a guy like Makai Blackman didn't get tested more. Um, to be honest, I thought I thought the teams would be circling a rookie, young players, Evans and Blackman a little bit more than they actually did. Um, but I, overall, I thought Blackman did what he needed to do. Of course, there's small things, some small communication issues, I think. Um, like think the late uh, Chris Godwin conversion to kind of seal the game. There's a little bit of communication issues there. I think on a, on like a quick, like wide receiver screen as well. I think we saw a couple like miscommunication issues, which is going to happen for young players. But um, overall, I thought he, he held his own. And I thought for a, for a guy being his first start in a, as a third round pick, um, he kind of did what you needed him to do that, that long, that long play that he broke up. I was a little worried. I, I'm not gonna be on it. Not gonna lie. When I saw that ball go up, I was like, "Oh no! Are we gonna see another one of these Moss situations where, um, you know, he comes down with it, touchdown, and um, he was able to get his hand in there and, and make a play?" And so it's just impressive. And I think you can tell that he's got the confidence. Um, obviously, I think once he mixes the the confidence with a little bit more of the true um, um, mental for the mental side of the game, where he you know knows everything that's going on, um, it's just gonna click. But um, from a first game standpoint, I thought I thought he, he did as well as you can ask him to. Yeah, I thought it was pretty impressive too. Um, it's a hard position to play cornerback in the days NFL, and he played it pretty well. Was it a perfect game? Maybe not, but at least you saw multiple players right there, right? And Addison and Pace and Blackman make immediate impacts. I know it was a loss for the Vikings, but they already felt like they made an impact in week one more than all of last year's class basically did, which I guess transitions yeah. uh, into this talking point of Ed Ingram. So he obviously has the weird SWAT thing, whoever you want to put the blame on there. Matt Ryan said he should have tucked the ball. Everyone else is saying, oh, it's it's just a fluke play. Uh, the PFF grades come out. Pressures uh, still a little high. I believe we allowed four pressures. Ed Ingram did. But Forno, uh, you watched some tape on Ed Ingram too so far after this one broken down. You said he, he didn't play maybe as bad 
as the PFF grades or maybe as the eye test said he did. Uh, I guess, what did you actually like from Ed Ingram's game that maybe something hasn't shown up on the statistics or on tape? I'll be honest, I thought he played pretty well. And that's not something a lot of people want to hear. That's not something people want to believe because it's easy to just paint the guy who's always been a little rough as the guy who was a little rough, but yeah, a couple reps, he just lost. He lost the Vita Vea on a couple on a pass rush rep. That was, that was pretty rough. That was one of those pressures. And then on the goal line, he was pulling and because he's pulling and he's, he's going to hit another gap. Vea is just able to cut right through and get a tackle for loss on Madison. That's not really on him. He did lose another rep to Vea on a run play, but it's Vita Vea. He's a top five defensive tackle in this league. And he doesn't get nearly enough respect. He's like 350 pounds and he moves like a freight train. It's just a really impressive athlete. And if you lose a couple times to him, it's fine because he did win more often than not. Elijah Cansey beat him with that elite quickness. And that was talked about all draft process where that really quick first step is just so lethal uh, with these interior offensive linemen that just don't have that type of athleticism. He got beat there too. There was one rep where he allowed it was the sack towards the end of the game on the Vikings touchdown drive where he just kind of like double punched. And that's something that he likes to do a lot. He likes to just try and knock you out. Well, if the guy ends up uh, kind of putting his foot down in the ground and bracing that, and then he got a nice little push pull, pulled Ingram out of the way and got the sack. That's going to happen when you have that type of offense, when you have that kind of technique, because you're sometimes you're just not going to be powerful enough to just get them completely out of the play. And then you have to be able to rebound. And he just didn't rebound. Overall, I thought his game was pretty good. I thought the PFF grades did not reflect what kind of game he actually had, which is what a lot of offensive line play boils down to, especially on social media, because not enough people try to like seek out what these guys were do- are doing. But overall, I thought he played well. And some of these pressures are on Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins, where if you know that your offensive line is going to allow pressure relatively quickly, which the Vikings offensive line was not perfect yesterday. And on a couple of these, you're running elevated and elongated route concepts where you're trying to really hit stuff deep down the field. That's going to take time. And a lot of those pressures from last season were because he's trying to run these longer route concepts. If you run a longer route concept, these offensive linemen have to block longer and it makes their job significantly harder. So I think there's some adjusting that needs to go on with the play calling that we saw kind of carry over year over year. But overall, I thought Ingram showed growth. You can look at the pressure number as its own thing, but he played much better than uh, any on-paper stats are going to tell you. So there's no need to panic and sign Dalton Reisner, who like is liking and responding to any single tweet, I guess, that, that is thrown his way. It's a very interesting PR move from his no. perspective. But but you're, you you're, really don't you really don't need to panic and sign anybody. At if anything, you would want to look at center first because Schlotman is barely replacement level. Yeah. And if this back injury, which could be the exact same injury that he lost five games to at the end of last season, and we have to remember that Colts game, he was going to come back the next week, but he got in a fender bender and tweaked it. Yeah. And that ended up costing him more games after that. If he's going to be out for a significant period of time, that is something that the Vikings might want to look at doing signing or trying to acquire a better center for the long term this year. As someone who uh, partially threw out his back on Friday for 
shooting a hundred on the golf course, I completely understand that back injuries are uh, absolutely no joke. So those are that that's I a tough spot. Wrong the other day, and I like kind of tweaked my back a little bit, and it felt weird for like thirty six hours. It stunk. Getting old, man. Not fun. Uh, not fun. Even for uh, the nerds like us here on, on Purple Daily. Uh, Miles, what do you make of the draft class? Kind of having at least uh, 2022's draft class. I, be, I should be specific here. Um, kind of having another dud performance. Lewis Seen runs off the field and has to, the Vikings have to burn a timeout. Uh, Brian Asamoah, yeah, might have been battling some injuries, but it just, as much as we want to see the 2022 draft class play out over the full season, it just felt like this is in, still like tracking towards a pretty bad draft so far for Kwasi, at least in terms of impact players that have come out of the draft class. Yeah, I think the unfortunate part is just you're not getting those contributions from those guys, and they're not – those guys don't really play positions where you need it right now because you put yourself in a situation to replace Makai Blackman's coming and step in for Andrew Booth. Um, you have Josh Metellus – well, Josh Metellus to a degree, but – you obviously have Cam Bynum and Harrison Smith for safety first Lewis Seen. Um, and so Jalen Naylor's sitting behind, you know, the three top wide receivers. So it's really hard to find room. Ed Ingram and Caleb Evans are really the only guys that have like either either been given the opportunity or like taken the opportunity to to significantly play snaps. And so um Asamoah, I'm not sure about that one. That one is to your point, I think it's hard to know if that really was injury related, but it looked like he played special teams still. So I would just be curious what um, what played into that, just because uh, B-Flow did, uh, Brian Flores did say going into the week that they expected Hicks to play, or not Hicks, uh, Asamoah to play more snaps so than, than Pace, and when in reality it was the complete opposite. And so um, I'll just be curious if that was just coach speak or if that was um, more of just how he came up from that injury and, and how he's feeling heading into the game. But, um, yeah, that, that draft class isn't looking too hot. I um, Ty Chandler got a little bit of run, but – and he's clearly the backup running back, but they weren't really in a position to run the ball much, and their run run game was awful. And so it's hard to kind of give him an opportunity to uh, to give those chances when when the run game is when they're when it's a pass first team. And it's clear that CJ Ham was the uh, primary third down back in a lot of those scenarios where he's he's in pass pro. Right. So I thought that was kind of telling. Um, maybe not maybe not as much about Chandler, but maybe a little bit more about Madison. Um, because those matter, and I'm not not really wanting to get too much down to like the Madison level, but you know we're talking about the second year players, but like those things matter. If Ty Chandler was stepping up in those areas, he'd get those opportunities. Um, so let let's see if he can. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as the season goes, maybe he could be a guy that gets more opportunities. But right now, we're just not seeing it. Nick Muse inactive, um, and so kind of looking at that, that that draft class, it's uh, it's not looking too hot. So we'll see. Obviously, as the season goes, but besides Evans and Ingram. Um, and we can't even say much about Ingram yet. It's, we still need a larger sample size to, to build off of, but um, it's not looking too hot. Yeah, Ty Chandler got a little bit of run uh, to spell Alexander Madison, but yeah, just uh, you don't like to see your first two picks, obviously, Lewis seen Andrew Booth mm-hmm. as playing ex- uh, um, mostly just special teams and not making big contributions on the defense. Teams. Yeah, only special teams. Only special teams, yeah. So did I win the over-under bet there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, based on everything I'd seen in practice and how they kind of like to rotate guys in and out, I really thought that they were going to do a little bit more of that. And initially, I even tweeted out that I thought that they were doing that early on by rotating out in and out linebackers. And then it just turned out right after that, Asamoah awesome died, just didn't play anymore. And it was all pace and hicks. So I, I want to hear from Flores as to what he saw against some of these these guys on Tampa Bay that kind of made him flow the game the way they that they did 
and how he was kind of learning on the fly with what these guys were reacting to and how he wanted to use those personnel groupings. What was really interesting about the run game was, and Alec Lewis of the athletic pointed this out and I found it fascinating. 11 of the 17 rush plays were against eight man boxes. So it's one thing to have a run play called against an eight man box. What I'm really confused about is why Kirk cousins and or Kevin O'Connell, because O'Connell can talk to cousins up until the 15 second mark on the play clock. Why are they not checking out of that? They have all these checks for every, all of these plays. Why aren't they seeing that it's an eight man box and checking out of it? Yeah. You may want to run the football, but if you see that, why are you still continuing to go through it? And I remember from quarterback last year on that first episode, cousins in that first play of the Eagles game saw the box and wasn't comfortable enough to check out of it. And he should have it ended up being like a three yard loss. I wonder if he's not fully comfortable with some of those little nuances in this offense yet when we thought he might be, and this is speculation. I don't know, but if you're running that much against an eight man box, when it's not like end of game strategy, why aren't you changing that up? It's okay to, you know, change what you're doing because of what the defense showed you. And Bowles was, uh, Use eight man boxes the sixth most of anybody in the National Football League last year. Some of that has to do with the strength of a guy like Antoine Winfield Jr., who can do some of that bailout stuff that Harrison Smith does. But all these little elements matter and they add up. So let's say I'm going to be this good person here. Let's say the Vikings drop to Philly, then they have Justin Herbert. They obviously have to go to Carolina. They have to play Patrick Mahomes here at home as well. If it's 0-5 to start the season, or even 1-4, heck, I'll, I'll give you a win somewhere. If, if it's 1-4 to start the season, do we start a tank for w- Caleb Williams parade? How should the Vikings, I guess, handle that, Miles? Like, if they get off to this slow start, are you all in on that tank? Can they rebound after that rough start? I mean, they do have a tough schedule to start the first five games. It could make some of those games back in the middle part of their season. But if that's the case, if it's like a 1-4 or an 0-5 start, is it just a full-on tank? for Caleb Williams or at least a high draft pick situation. Yeah, I I think obviously I think this roster is too talented to like full on tank unless we see a major injury anywhere. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case if we saw Quazy Quazy's willingness to move some of the like expiring contract players, like a Daniil Hunter, for example, or a um who might even Ezra Cleveland could could come to mind, but I doubt that with <laughs> with the offensive line situation. But like they they can look to move move some of the KJ Osborne as an example. Like they can look to move some of those guys, DJ Wanham, um, as just like, hey, we could add more draft capital. We know that the season's probably not going to turn out the way we'd like it to. Um, but I don't I don't see full on tank. Like they're not going to sit Kirk Cousins. Um, Kirk Cousins is probably not accepting any sort of trade if the Vikings were trying to do that. Like he's got all that power there. Um, and so I yeah I, I would have a hard time seeing them like full-on tank, but um, I could see them being willing to move some assets so that they have more additional draft capital plus getting young guys more opportunities and, and maybe, you know, they're okay with not winning as much as you'd like them to. Yeah, I mean, uh, the NFL trade deadline on Halloween this year, so uh, kind of a spooky time for the Vikings to figure that out. They'll play the Chiefs on October 8th, and then the round out that month, they have the Bears on October 15th, the Niners on Monday Night Football, October 23rd, and then they are in Green Bay, October 29th, uh, 48 hours basically between the trade deadline hitting in that Packer game. 
So yeah, a lot to play out. We're not signifying panic yet. Uh, but if that is the case, Forno, if it is a slow start, are you more leaning towards the tank? Are you selling off assets by the trade deadline? How would you kind of handle that if the Vikings get off to this slow start? So uh, let's approach it a different way, and let's approach it how the Vikings will handle it. They're not going to tank. Um, Quasi Dopamensa has explicitly said we're not going to tank. But if you're in a position where, let's say, it's 1-6, and six, and hypothetically, oh, you're, yeah, you're done. Um, if a team wants to give you a fourth for KJ Osborne, a fourth for DJ Wanham, you make those moves because you're not going to be able to afford to bring them back at that price. And then you have younger guys who can step up and elevate Jalen Naylor that you could argue should maybe get some wide receiver three looks down the line this year. So Jordan Addison is going to be a wide receiver too long-term. You know, Osborne is not going to be in your plans just due to how much he's going to make on that next contract. So you have to adjust accordingly. And I think those are the smart moves. I will say the second you are eliminated from playoff contention, I think you bench Kirk Cousins and play Jaron Hall because it'll give you an opportunity to see if and what he can be. And you know what? There's a high likelihood he's nothing. And he's nothing more than a backup quarterback. He may be worse than that. But if you drafted him with the idea, okay, maybe we can develop this guy and make him into something and a potential starter, which is what all these guys do when they take quarterbacks on day three. It's a developmental project. You can at least see where you're at with him and how comfortable you are potentially letting him either compete for the starting job give him the starting job, or if you want him to have nothing to do with it, you're going to have more data to find your answer. And the second you're eliminated, put him out with all the ones and see what happens. Kind of like what the Raiders did with Derek Carr, except they just benched Derek Carr. They didn't have a developmental option, but I would try to maximize your capital coming back by making some of those moves. And heck, it'll save you money too, because KJ Osborne is making like, almost $3 million. And then a guy that you would sign off the street could be making seven fifty, And then you'll get the cap savings of that based on um, how that, that would work out through like however many games are left. You'd, you'd save around a million bucks. Let's say like that matters next year when you're trying to get that Justin Jefferson contract signed, when you're trying to, maybe you need to sign a guard to replace Ezra Cleveland. Cause you don't want to keep Cleveland. Those things all matter in the long-term focus. Plus you have a Darius extension. So I would try to maximize the, your assets if you find yourself in a situation where you're just SOL. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom. And it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a very intriguing spot uh, for the Vikings to find themselves in if they indeed uh, want to tank this season. I don't think they're going to get there. I think they're still too good pending. Yeah, just significant injuries to Kirk Cousins or Daniil Hunter or Justin Jefferson. And hopefully they don't have to uh, even go down that path. Uh, couch football takeaways. All right, Forno, uh, put a quarter in you here. Uh, who impressed you this week? Who has changed? Maybe whose stock has risen or has fallen? Uh, what guys really impressed you this weekend in college football? Oh, boy. We're, we're going to continue with the quarterbacks. And we have to talk about Shadir Sanders again. He played. Now, Nebraska is not a good football team. Let's lay that out there. What they do have is a good defense. A defense that swarms, tackles well, plays good coverage. They really stifled Colorado early. But then Colorado got rolling. He threw an another game for nearly 400 yards. He's got 910 yards and 
Um, I think it's nine touchdowns combined on the year. He's just played really impressive football and he doesn't have an elite arm, but it, it's reminiscent of, of a Kirk Cousins arm where it's accurate. He can make throws off platform if he needs to. Like Cousins is really good rolling out to his left. Sanders made an absolutely bonkers throw in the first quarter where he did that and just threw a rope on an out route for a first down. Those things are really going to translate. And he's shown that that FCS jump to the FBS has been nothing for him. I mean, he was a four-star recruit, so he knew there was talent there. But how the talent applies itself is going to be completely different. And then I think he has to talk about the dichotomy with Drake May and Caleb Williams. People are going to fight over this. And Dane Brugler wrote in an article for The Athletic that teams are going to be split on May and Williams because of how different they are. Um, And when you go back to 2017, the two major hits in that first round were Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. And up until uh, Deshaun Watson had all the allegations and sat out a year because of everything that happened after that, you had a real debate on is Deshaun Watson like as good as Patrick Mahomes because he was incredible. And the answer is obviously no, but people loved what Watson was doing on the field. And you're going to have some of that same debate with Drake may because some people would prefer a guy who's going to operate a little bit more in structure who can still do the creative stuff. And he plays like Justin Herbert and Herbert is lauded as one of the great quarterbacks in the national football league. Then you have Williams who doesn't operate in structure nearly as much. And he won't take the 10 yard layup because he wants to be that special player. And he is, and it sometimes you have to rein it in a little bit. And that's what Andy Reid was able to do with Mahomes. But is Williams going to go to a place that's going to be able to help him in the same way? Because that's going to maximize Caleb Williams at the next level. Take the special plays, uh, but also understand in the NFL, you can't always just try to be special. You have to be smart. And that's why Mahomes has two Super Bowl titles to his name right now, because he figured out ways to maximize both play really smart and be incredibly special. So just be aware when you look at some of these stat lines, Never look at stat lines in college to get your answers. It does not tell you anything. That's kind of the moral of the story because there's just so much when you look at both of these guys to like, but people are going to be split. And and anybody who tells you that Caleb Williams is a consensus number one is, is just not telling you the truth. Uh, Miles, I know you got a bolt here, but uh, any college football notes or nuggets or situations that you saw over the weekend that caught your eye? Yeah, well, so obviously Texas beating Alabama was a huge, yeah. huge game. Lots of prospects in, on both sides. Quinn Ewers um, looking better than he has in his career so far, and I think that's a big important aspect for him. Now, I don't think he's in the top echelon of these QB prospects, but I think he has a, a chance to move himself up the, those rankings and maybe be, you know, more, maybe in that middle tier of that group. And so, like, that's another option for the Vikings long-term. Like, again, it's so early to, like, say besides the top guys, um, but I think he's a, he's an obvious one to, to talk about. But then I we talk about like other positions. I think you know D line from that same game, Byron Murphy um, against Alabama, D lineman for Texas. He's in he's a true junior, so this is his third year in college. So he's he's technically um, NFL draft eligible. He's a guy that was disruptive against Alabama on Saturday, and um, he's just a guy that um, the Vikings can use a, a big bodied, explosive type interior D lineman. Now we don't. I don't expect them or think they should use a first round pick on this on this position but those are guys to consider um as this team needs to build up that the the trenches in this uh, on this team and so he's the guy that just stood out to me watching that game and um obviously like 
Keon Coleman from Florida State. Like that dude is insane. Like I know we talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that guy is is all you know all worldly, but um, Coleman was has been balling for Florida State. So um, I think he's a guy that just brought attention to everybody. Now again, don't expect the Vikings to spend high capital wide receiver, but those are guys, those are the positions that excite me. He's a it's a position that excites me in watching those guys um, just ball out. Uh, it's just been fun. Nice and Miles. I know you got a bolt, so uh, we'll we'll mm-hmm. we'll we'll say goodbye to you at least. Forno and I can uh, talk a little bit more some college football here, but we'll see you next Monday, uh, Miles. We'll uh, we'll be yeah. talking after that Eagles game as well and previewing the next week. So. Appreciate it. See you guys. Yep. Thanks, Miles. Uh, Forno, I want to stick here uh, on the Drake May front because obviously the Gophers uh, are going to be playing mm-hmm. UNC in North Carolina this uh, this weekend. And I know there's yeah. some overlap between the Vikings and the Gophers. I know a lot of our Vikings fans um, might not be residing in Minnesota or not. Uh, rowing the boat per se, but still uh, from a local angle, the the Gophers are going to be playing one of the top cro- uh, quarterback prospects. What do you like from Drake May's game? And has there been any signs over the last uh, two games, at least to start the season for UNC that you really liked, or I guess the, the broad way I can paint this for you as I continue to ramble on, what do you like from Drake May and what should uh, Vikings or Gophers fans look to be watching when he plays the Gophers on Saturday? I think you need to be looking at uh, a guy he gets compared to Justin Herbert. And I think the comparisons are relatively fair, especially if you just start looking at their body types, they're built incredibly similar physically and the way they play the game, they can move well, but it, they're not like the most fluid athlete. They're, they're not moving like Lamar Jackson, but they're moving at an above average level and they're able to utilize off platform throws to throw it down the field. What's really impressive about me is how he stands in the pocket and delivers a beautiful football and it's consistent it's not something where you have to worry about him making poor decisions that is probably his weakest element right now he could make better decisions and that's where you get some of his interceptions but he'll he'll throw down the field and thread the needle and he can deliver balls accurately and with velocity because people think arm strength some people do not everybody now arm strength is about throwing it as far as you possibly can it's about hitting a 15 yard out route or zipping it in in a really tight window that you have to just gun it. That Kirk Cousins throw where he just flew it over KJ Osborne's head. That's velocity. That's being like, I need to get it from point A to point B as fast as possible. And he can do those things. I think you need to look at how he's going to attack this defense. Can he manipulate safety Tyler Newman, who's one of the best safeties in the country, and be able to hit some of those deep shots? It's absolute bullcrap that uh, Tez Walker isn't playing this year, but that's a whole nother discussion that quite frankly, this isn't the platform to talk about it, but the NCAA sucks and how he's going to be able to manipulate some of that stuff. And can he deal with a Gophers pass rush and then the running game like Drake may hit through less than 200 yards last week, but they ran for over 300 and can the Gophers stop that running game and then make the play action a little less impactful because they are able to stop it. This is a very good North Carolina team, but the Gophers aren't a slouch either. I'll tell you, Ethan Kaliak Madison needs to step up and hit some big time throws if the Gophers are going to come out with a W. What do you think of Kaliak Madison? Because obviously he's uh, he's has a chance here to maybe be a legitimate quarterback for the Gophers, who have really not had a long history of having amazing quarterbacks. Tanner Morgan had a really good season and a long time run with the Gophers, but I guess what do you want to see from this Gopher quarterback? Uh, that maybe others have not provided that school. Slow down. He needs to slow down his mechanics and he needs to let the game come to him 
uh, that Nebraska game, you saw there were so many different throws that he could have easily made, and he just rushed it. And take a step back, breathe deep, and throw the football. Maybe you just need to start aiming it instead of chucking it. Aim the football and let it come to you. One of the things that uh, you learn as a young player is when you or especially in golf and Declan, you can relate. Don't smash the ball. Just aim the ball, hit it. The power will come the more comfortable you are with your swing. And I think Kaliak Manis needs to get a little bit of that right now. He just needs to aim the ball. Oh, you've got an in route. You know, you have your spot you have to hit aim it. Don't try and just throw it with a lot of velocity because that's when you're going to get a lot of uh, balls that are just inaccurate. Just hit the spot that you know you need to. And I think once he starts slowing down his mechanics a little bit, not rushing things, I think you're going to see some growth. But I figured we'd have some growing pains early on. He did show improvement game over game uh, when he did get starts at the end of last season. Can he continue to grow in that area? I think he can. And the Gophers think he has a lot of talent, and he does. But some of those little things matter so much more at quarterback than they do other positions. And that's something that he's going to have to figure out long-term if he wants to have sustained success. Forno, I saw the uh, Forno Man Cave had five football games, of course, going on on the college scene over the weekend. You had, what, McNeese versus Florida. I'm looking at this right now on your Twitter page. You can mm-hmm. go to the Real Forno to see this as well. You had Texas and Bama, of course. You had Wisconsin and Wazoo. You had Montana State and South Dakota State. You had Arizona versus Mississippi State. All on his three screens, or three TVs, I should say, plus a laptop, mm-hmm. plus a tablet. Uh, what other things stood out from all those games that you watched over the weekend? Absolutely. I want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on Quinn Ewers, and we're going to talk about Cam Ward from Wazoo. But Ewers, he's very inconsistent in throwing the deep ball. And some of that is his receivers, they like to drop. And that's going to hinder some of these numbers. Against Alabama and Oklahoma, Ewers is 7 of 12 on 40-plus yard bombs. Against everybody else he's played in his college career, 5 of 43. I'm curious how that number is going to evolve over the course of the next 10 to 12 games, depending on if they make the playoff, the big 12 title game, et cetera, et cetera, because he's had his most success against his best opponents. But why aren't we seeing success against lesser opponents? What, what kind of commonality is there? Is it you're stepping up in a big moment? Are you just having issues with your receivers? How much of it last year was your shoulder because he had that labrum injury on his non-throwing shoulder that honestly almost cost me my college fantasy football season. <laughs> but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, so I want to see what Ewers can do to develop. He doesn't have an a absolute missile. He can make every throw. And he can make it with timing. He can make it with accuracy. And he's got relatively good mechanics. So how is he going to evolve? That's going to be a big story. He could go top five. He could go in round five. That That's the range we're wow. seeing with Ewers right now because of how that variable, like how many variables there are with his play and Cam Ward. And this is going to sound really weird. And it's not a one-to-one comp. When I watch Cam Ward, I think I'm watching Kyler Murray because of how he moves in the pocket and how he tries to create for himself. Now he's a different player than Kyler Murray, but when you watch him, it's like, okay, there's, there's a real commonality there, especially when like there's scrambling, but he has now beaten Wisconsin two years in a row, beating him in Camp Randall last year in his second game in the FBS coming from incarnate word. And then he beat them in Pullman 
uh, which is like right on the Idaho border. Pullman's like a town of like 3,000 people non, uh, non-college town. So it's like a real college town. Right. And he has the ability to make every throw. He's making them with more accuracy. He's making better decisions. And he has the ability to be lethal as a runner. He's not on the level of a Lamar Jackson, but I, I kind of put him on like the level of peak Aaron Rodgers, where he can gas you for 30 yards if you give him the space. And I think he's got all the arm talent in the world, and he stepped up big in these first two games, showed real progression and growth from last year. And he has the talent to be able to translate right away into the National Football League and be a first-round pick. This draft class is very unique. Last year, we talked about, oh, there's 12 guys who may be able to make the leap. Right now, we're seeing about six other guys that are starting to make that leap. So who's really going to be a first-round quality quarterback when we're talking about the NFL draft come April? I'm fascinated to watch how that plays out. But those those two guys really stood out to me. Um, obviously, I had to watch Florida because I'm a Florida Gator fan. But um, these wide receivers from Arizona, they don't get a lot of publicity. Tatai Roa McMillan, he's a true sophomore. He's built like DeAndre Hopkins, but he moves much better. And Jacob Cowing is a little, he's smaller, but he is lethal with the ball in his hands. Those are two guys that I love watching, and that's why Arizona is on my screen. Uh, last thing from you, Forno. Um, I'm not sure how much you caught it, but being a Florida guy, what did you make of Anthony Richardson's uh, debut yesterday with the Colts? I don't know if you were able to just see the box score. Not sure if you were able to watch anything, but yeah, obviously you knew him very well from his time at Florida. I mm-hmm. guess what did you think of his performance in his NFL debut yesterday with the Colts? I thought his NFL debut was excellent. Uh, you, it, With a guy like Richardson, he needs a little bit of time to kind of sure up some of those little things, and that's what we talked about. He needs to sure up those mechanics in the same way Cali McManus does. Just slow it down. Aim the ball rather than just throw it because too often he would just throw rockets when he didn't need to. All you need to do is get the ball out there. And he was showing some improvement with that. He was running the ball in a really smart manner. And Arif Hassan is going to have a lot of fun because 31 of his 37 pass attempts were right. And he barely threw left. So that we know the Mitchell Trubisky stuff from a few years ago. That's going to be interesting to watch, but he didn't make mistakes. He made smart plays and he made some explosive plays. They weren't, nobody expected them to beat the Jaguars, but he kept them in the game throughout four quarters. And I think that speaks volumes and it shows a really nice debut and I think in two to three years, this guy could end up being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Really nice start. I thought he had a better start than Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. And they both right now have better situations to deal with than Anthony Richardson. So big hats off to him for a good start. Now he's got to keep it up because we've seen quarterbacks have great starts. Mariota threw 400 yards and four touchdowns in his debut against Tampa Bay. And his career completely tailed off. You have to keep it going. And I think Richardson can, but only time will tell. Awesome stuff, Forno. Appreciate you. Our buddy Miles, too, had to drop off a little early, but a lot of great stuff to uh, take away, even on a positive side, and we'll see what happens against the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday Night Football. Uh, But Purple Daily on draft, of course, every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Maybe we're talking about the Vikings uh, stealing a win in Philadelphia, and then they're going to have to play the Chargers back at home in a couple weeks. So plenty of stuff to get into. Uh, be sure to check out Before I Die, which will be launching later on on this podcast feed and YouTube channel. And go check out Hottest Takes, Alex Boone, and Vikings Bentline, which was an absolute blast uh, despite the loss. Hit that subscribe button for daily Minnesota Vikings entertainment. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.